the risk is huge for people to reach out for help. That's why our nonprofit sending people to therapy will we'll pay for you to go mm-hmm. and your department will never know. There are police officers in the Bay Area that we have going to therapy. We have firefighters that are going to therapy and they literally say like, hey, thank you so much. Like I appreciate it. And that, that makes my day. When you realize it, that your boss knows a little bit about you, little things like knowing when your people's birthday are or their anniversary and those little things over time help to build that trust and then it becomes somebody that you might want to go to later on. That person, I trust him her our kind of answer at the overwatch collective we came up with a buddy program but if you have that one injury and you don't have that badge anymore well what do i have that's a lot to ask of somebody when you're overseas when you're deployed you got a close group of friends you see a lot of stuff overseas whether you're in combat or not some of us get into this mindset where i have to go work and as long as i make the money for the family i'm cool and then not realizing there's another aspect that you have to maintain you can have all the resources available it could be free but ultimately it's up to you Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I am really excited about today's episode. I am sitting with somebody who I've been trying to get on the show for a while. We've known each other for several years, and he's got a cause that that he has that's really impactful. I really want to help to get the word out to everybody for what he does. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Greg Grogan from the Overwatch Collective. And Greg Rogan is a fellow law enforcement officer. Obviously, I know who you are. If you can give me like about a 30 second minute spiel about who you are and we'll get right into what we're talking about today. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. This is a, a great little setup that you got. And thankfully, I didn't have to bring a jet ski or a ski do out here. It's yeah. actually not raining today. So <laughs> we're all good. Um, now, number one, I appreciate you having me on. And um, this is great. I'm looking forward to this episode. So Really quick, just about me. Like you said, my name's Greg. Um, been a police officer for about eight years, kind of in the same area as you. Um, enjoying time on the motorcycle, getting paid to ride at Harley's an amazing thing. Uh, Best job in the department for anybody if you ever get into this career, the, hands down. The greatest job out there. Uh, and uh, spent seven and a half years in the Marine Corps, uh, currently in the Coast Guard Reserves, uh, about two years. And then... Um, Shoot, year and a half ago, uh, the co-founder of a 501c3 nonprofit and podcast called The Overwatch Collective, and the the whole mission is basically to reduce the numbers of first responders and veterans, kind of ending it all, normalizing mental health, post-traumatic stress, uh, financially assisting our community to go to therapy, um, and the podcast, sharing stories, getting resources out there, and just trying to uh, trying to help our community out. And you've have you have a very noble cause, and if uh, this is episode is being recorded in January, you just released an episode that you have with a very lovely lady named Donna. She spent three hours on your show talking about uh, life with her husband and how things ended up there. And to have someone have the courage to tell that story and to be able to get that information out there, it's something that a lot of us just don't talk about. Not just in our industry, but in general, people just say it's taboo. Let's just not worry about it, and people will figure out their own way. Uh, but to have someone come on and tell her whole story about what had happened, it was very impactful. And, you know, I encourage anybody who uh, hears about his uh, podcast here to listen to her episode season four, episode one or three, episode one, uh, season four, episode season one, four, episode yeah. one with, with Donna. It was a great episode. But what I, I learned from that is there is just so much that happens behind the scenes that nobody talks about in regards to mental health, specifically for you, because it's a topic that we don't talk about in our industry. How did you specifically say, this is something that I want to take on and be a part of? And how did you get it created with your uh, partner? Yeah. So, uh, my partner, Jesse and I, we, uh, it was actually his idea just to start a podcast just like you. And we were 
uh, it was during COVID as well. Yeah. And originally we were just going to start talking about, uh, what life is like in the military and, um, what you do in the field, the training, the, the funny stories that go along with it. And then, uh, me being a police officer, I was like, well, let's incorporate first responders. And then we started talking about mental health and then people started donating to us. And I'm like, okay, I feel weird. Like taking people's money. Yeah. So then someone brought up the idea. I forget who it was. And they're like, Hey, why don't you guys like start like helping our community to go to therapy? And I was like, cool. Turn it into a 501 C3. Um, got contracted therapists in California and some other states. And now we're kind of created a, a safe place for our community to go to. And then we connect them to a therapist and then pay for them to go. So where did the name come from? Uh, it was us. We were sitting there at breakfast one day, um, for like two hours and we were trying to think of how we can put like everybody together. So that's where like the collective came from. Mm -hmm. And then like Overwatch is a military or SWAT term or anything like if you're in an Overwatch position, you're kind of, you're in an elevated position and you're kind of looking out for everybody else. Gotcha. Um, so that's like, we're all looking out for each other together, the Overwatch collective. And then we were like eyes opened wide and we're like, that's gotcha. it. That's very creative to come up with that. Now for you specifically, uh, as comfortable as you are talking about this, 10 years or so in the military, correct? When you when you put together Marines and Coast Guard and obviously law enforcement, has this impacted you personally, former friends or uh, colleagues? Is that like in regards yes. to mental health? Yes. In terms of them saying, hey, this is, well, I guess we should separate that. There's, there's the mental health side, which is one thing. And then when you break it down specifically, it's people saying, they throw their hands up and saying, that, that's it, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. Specifically on the latter part, did that affect you did that affect you personally, whether your units or former law enforcement officers or people that you grew up with? Yeah, so I, I've lost people to just wanting to end it all in the military and in uh, law enforcement. What has been like, I mean, obviously there's so many different reasons why, and there's, not, there's no one solution to this. So anybody who thinks that, hey, we, we're going to sit here and say this is the one thing we can fix, it doesn't work that way. There's so many different aspects. But from what you've seen specifically, has there been a theme that you can kind of pinpoint and say, it all kind of stemmed from this? I, I don't think there's like an exact theme. Um, I just know like based on what we've kind of been doing and then being in the military and being a police officer firsthand, mm -hmm. like we are on the inside and we kind of know what goes on. And I think, and I mean, you can attest to this too and all the first responders and service members out there like listening is we see so much stuff on a daily basis that the normal civilians don't really see and we just become numb to it mm -hmm. and then you start to think like oh this is just a part of the job or this is what i signed up for and you you tend to make it like not a big deal and then you start to see so much and so much and so much that if one thing affects you i mean you you got to work on that obviously but you got to start way in the beginning like when did you first start to feel like hey this call for service affected me um so I, I think it's, uh, for us, I think it's the resources that we have available to us and then the stigma behind mental health. Yeah, for those of us who don't, or for those of you who don't, who've never been in the military or law enforcement, it is a career, or these both are careers where you just don't, if things are going bad, you just sort of deal with it. You're just like, yeah, that happened with so-and-so, or I went to the, this call for service, and yeah, that wasn't a pleasant experience. And then a few seconds later, you're what we call 10-8 over here, which means, okay, on to the next call or on to the next assignment or whatever it is. You just sort of don't process some of the things that you 
see on a daily basis in this career. And it's not only that, it's outside of work that, you know, it can be an effective thing too. Specifically, I want to ask you about the military. One of the big things that has been talked about, no one really seems to know how to deal with it, is how do we help veterans who, I guess, reacclimate them back to, to society? Because especially if you're at war and you're out there with your unit, it becomes less about we're doing this for the president, or we're doing this for the country. It's almost like you're doing it for your units. Like mm-hmm. you want to keep each other safe. Well, my main thing is to make sure you all guys go go home. And dealing with what you guys deal with out there in the field, to then come back to the civilian world where it's like nobody knows what, what you saw out there. It's, you know, park here, pay this, do that, whatever. It's a whole different world. Um, and it's hard for us to figure out how do we help veterans to acclimate to that better. Do you see that as being, being a challenge your, your, yourself? Yeah, and I'll, I was never in combat. You were not, okay. I was never in combat. Um, I was infantry. I deployed once overseas, um, but it was like a, a training deployment, essentially. Gotcha. We were on standby for a couple of things, but nothing nothing really happened. So just a preference with that, I'm not trying gotcha. to say I'm this right. big combat dude and <laughs> came back and everything. So um, this is just from my experiment of, or my experience of having people on the podcast or doing events with veterans. Um, what I think really needs to be done for our veteran community is the the transition from active duty with your fellow brothers and sisters to the demobilization process after your deployment or when you get out of the military to being back in San Francisco in your hotel room or at your house trying to find a job. So a, a common theme that we see is um, when you're overseas, when you're deployed, you got a close group of friends. You all been through the same stuff. You all know everything about each other, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then um, you see a lot of stuff overseas, whether you're in combat or not, it still affects you. Yeah. Um, and then you come home and people don't understand what you really went through. You're trying to acclimate back to people jaywalking right in front of you. And you're, it, you're literally transitioning back to civilian life. And for a lot of our veteran community, I think that that's a a challenge within itself. And what I see is they're just kind of getting thrown back into it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think it's kind of setting them up for failure, in my opinion. It's one of those things that I'm not sure how many times you've interacted with veterans on the job where you get calls for for service there. It's happened to me a couple of times. And the second that you realize that they're a veteran you're automatically in this position of, am I going to do something that triggers a reaction to them because of what they potentially have seen where, when they were deployed and understanding that how I speak to them and how I carry myself and how do I appear as I am not a threat mm-hmm. to waking that I, Hey, I'm here to help you solve a problem. Uh, it can be a challenge for those of us who've never, never served to not realize that somebody, what they've, they've seen, it can affect them when you're out there on the field. We have not dealt with anything that I can remember where there was an incident involving a former veteran where, you know, things got, you know, taken to the next level. But I've, I've heard stories about that where, you know, they're just minding their own business. Something happens in the environment, whether maybe it's like a flat, like a tire blows on a bus and it triggers a reaction or uh, they hear shouting down the street. It turns out it's just a homeless person trying to cross the street. But then they remember something that they saw back when they were deployed and I don't know how you really train somebody to get those memories out of their head because it's like sort of ingrained in you that this is what I remember. This was an experience I had. And every time I hear that or see this, even though I know I'm in the States, I know I'm in a safe country, 
you know, I can't get that out of my my head. Have people, without naming names specifically, have people sort of talked about that? Yeah, and there's a so and, and you you hit it right there, where you have those triggers, and everybody has triggers. Everybody goes through those, whether you're a cop, firefighter, EMT, whether you you're a service member and you're deployed and you come back, whatever whatever the case may be, everybody has those triggers, and there are types of therapy that you can do to reprocess that information and that I guess you can say like that bad that triggering memory um, into a different part of your brain so that you're okay discussing it Mm. so it's called EMDR so it's eye movement desensitization reprocessing I actually got that right sometimes I mess up the acronym (laughs) but I got it right and basically what that is it's it's very straining uh, emotionally, physically draining therapy that you do. Um, sometimes it's over the course of a few sessions and basically it is like how we're doing. We're sitting across the table from each other and you're with your therapist and, um, you are literally closing your eyes and you're remembering where you were when you were dispatched for that call service. When you arrived, you, you discuss what you saw, what you smell. And then when you get into the part where it really starts to affect you, um, that's where you kind of take the time and you, you discuss all the senses that you have, everything that's kind of affecting you and you get all of that out. And then the therapist turns that around to where you're okay discussing it. So that's kind of in a nutshell of what EMDR is. Gotcha. Um, but I, I know people that have done it. We've had people on our podcast that have done it and, um, sometimes it's, um, putting both hands on your shoulders or it's tapping the table. Um, there's different types of methods, but there are ways that you can take traumatic uh, memories in your brain and reprocess them into a different part of your brain so that you can move past it. Gotcha. That's, I'm glad that, that that actually exists because it's not something that I've ever heard about. Uh, maybe because the acronym is very long, people don't don't say it that way, but it's good to know that there is a treatment out there for that. A challenge might be getting it to the people who actually need it, which is one of the things that I, I think that we can say happens a lot is that there are resources out there for a lot of things, but it's getting it to people in a way that actually may, um, that actually can actually help them. One thing I do want to talk about, and this sort of will lead into a bigger, a bigger thing, is for us specifically in the law enforcement community, and feel free to chime in on your thoughts on this. Most of us get into the, this career uh, for the reasons that we want to help people. Whether it's uh, we saw something when we were a kid or maybe we had a family member who was in law enforcement and we admire them. We say, I want to do that because I see them doing great things. Or maybe we've seen a lot of movies and think this is how things are done on the street. It's law and order. It's uh, CSI New York. I want to do all that. And then like a lot of jobs, you get into the, to the career and you realize, OK, this is how it is for where I'm working now. And it may not be New York City, it may not be Los Angeles, it may be Eureka, California, or it may be Fargo, North Dakota, different environments all over the country. And you sort of get used to what your city or your jurisdiction requires you to do for what you have to deal with. And for a lot, a lot of people, it's, okay, I get into the career, I get into my jurisdiction, this is what my jurisdiction wants me to, to do. And now I'm sort of used to it. And the things that I see every day, and some of us work in environments where it's like for people who are in the Bay Area, places like Oakland, Stockton, these are very active places. You know, you are pretty much every day going call to call to call. And it's not 
a jaywalker. It's not a shoplifter. It's like a serious call, you know, shots being fired, people screaming. It's like every day in some of the, these cities. Then you have other cities where, you know, you may get a, get a call once or twice in a shift. It, there's different environments. But no matter what, what it is, it's learning how to deal with the specific jurisdiction that, that you're in. And after a few years, some of us shorter, some of us longer, people can start to get jaded by it. Whether it's they don't feel appreciated by citizens or the management or whether society says they put them in the stigma of you guys are the problem and they sort of feel that, that they get caught into it. We basically call it maybe guys who are getting salty <laughs> as they get older and they start building up stresses that just carry on with them through the rest of their career. And it's something that I've seen, uh, not as much in my department because we're pretty small. I'm sure you've seen it a couple of times in your in your area too. But how do we... I guess the big challenge is how do people actually, how are they supposed to communicate with it? Because most of the time we just say, yeah, that's what it is. It happened to that guy who left after we're doing 20 years. It's going to happen to me too. And I just sort of accept it and then move on. So how do you really communicate about that? How do you really talk about these are some things I've been going through when you know this is the job that I signed up for and I kind of knew it was going to be a part of it. So I accept it and then just assume whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with you. It's like, this is, this is the job that you signed up for. And you, you probably knew that you were going to see some of this stuff that you shouldn't be seeing, but that doesn't mean that you have to hold all of that in or that you can't talk to someone or that you, you shouldn't have resources available to you. So like, I think exactly what we're doing, how we're talking about it. And then like for us, um, like having people on the podcast to share stories and provide resources and just pumping that out. Like if that helps one first responder to hear a story and be like, Hey, I was on for 15 years and I thought I was fine. I thought I was fine. And then boom, I had one incident 12 years in that affected me. And then I finally realized that I needed to talk to someone. I needed to go to therapy, whatever it may be. Maybe that helps a first responder that's been on for a year or two and be like, Hey, you know what? Mike or Greg went to therapy 15 years on, like maybe I can too. Mm. Um, but I think it's getting the resources out there and known. Like I know for me specifically in my area and my department, um, I've never really had any like briefing trainings or in the military, I've never really had people come in and be like, these are some statistics that we see with people that are in the military or people that are firefighter or police officer. Um, and these are the resources that are available to you. These are the benefits of talking about it. Um, and then EMDR, like for you, mm-hmm. first time hearing about EMDR, and that's a powerful tool in therapy for our community. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a serious lack of resources being provided and addressed to our community. And I think it's no secret that uh, in our industry, law enforcement and the military, it's predominantly men. So when we talk about this, we're not excluding women at all because we understand every both men and women experience the same thing. But Warner, you're in an industry that's mostly men. Uh, there is a lot of that sort of machismo, or yeah, like pretty the, much I'm the tough man. Because yeah, you you don't want to be the, especially if you have an image. Like if you're that guy in the unit or that guy in the in the department, that's like okay, he's he's the badass. You know, when when something's about to happen, you want him on your team. He doesn't flinch for anything. You know, he nothing bothers him, nothing phases him. And if you have that image or anything similar to that, to be able to step back and say, actually, uh, you know, it's, I'm not really feeling well. Most guys, especially, they they just can't they can't get there because mm-hmm. it's sort of that mental block. I'm supposed to be. This is my image. This is who I am. And if I 
kind of tell people that I am not all there or I'm not feeling right, it's going to damage my whether reputation or how people perceive me. And we all know in real life that that's, that's not true, but it's still there in the back of your mind. Like I, I just can't, um, I can't let people know that I got things going on. Or if I have a family, wife and kids, or whatnot, they had. I don't want them to know that today I just saw X happen to this person because I don't want to talk about that, and I don't want them to worry about what I see every day. So it just sort of builds up in you, and then from the outside, people think, "Oh, he's totally fine," or "She's totally fine." I, you know, when you had uh, your last guest on Donna, it was like, "Yeah, he was totally fine." You know, I never would have known that this could have happened, and it's realizing that what you see every day just it can build up over time and it happens to the best of us if you want to call it that in terms of the people who are supposed to we perceive as being at the top of our game and not having anywhere to really communicate hey am i feeling cool am i dealing with something who do i talk to whatever trying to break through that barrier in the military especially probably and but also in law enforcement can be like you know trying to climb everest or something it's it's hard it's hard to get people to say I think I need to talk to somebody. It's hard to get people to admit sometimes that, yeah, that actually kind of, that thing we saw yesterday, yeah, that kind of bothered me. It's it's difficult to get people to open up. And I think it's one of the challenges that we face with getting people some counseling is this just trying to break through that first barrier of, hey, it's cool to talk about this, whatever. For our industry, well, it's always been cliche, and maybe in the military too, that, hey, if, you know, if guys need to hash out, we're, we're going to go to the bar. We're going to have a couple of drinks, and then it'll all come out there, and then we're cool with it. And then we don't realize if the more that we keep doing that, especially if you have a family, that's time that you're not spending at home with the wife and the kids. That's time you're not spending, you know, bonding with the family. Some of us get into this mindset where I have to go work. And as long as I make the money for the family, I'm cool. And then not realizing there's another aspect that you have to maintain there. What are your thoughts on what I just kind of said? I know it's a lot. Yeah. I, I was literally just thinking like you brought up so many things that we can touch on. Um, Let's pick them apart one by one. Number I, was a lot. Number one um, was the first thing that you mentioned, which is the self-image of being the, a firefighter, service member, police officer. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it, it is your self-image. So, uh, for example, me, I've, I've been on the SWAT team for six years, motorcycle officer, honor guard, and in a, in a few specialty assignments. And... Um, and if I were to go through something and I didn't really know much about therapy or the resources that were out there, like it would probably take a lot for me to go to say a supervisor that may be in charge of me and say, Hey, you know what, Sarge, I, this call really affected me. Like I, I might need to, to take a couple of days off. I know we're extremely short staffed and we're asking people to come in and work overtime, but I need a few days. Like, I, I feel like mental health is getting better in our community, but it's not at that point in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also you are, you're kind of being red flagged slightly, whether you like it or not. I mean, we can't say it's true, but we all know it's like once it's out there and the bosses know, Oh, this person went through this. Uh, they can't say it officially, but you know, when things come up down the line, it's like, that's going to, that's going to be there. You can't quantify it and you can't, I don't want to say you can't necessarily blame them for that. It's almost human instinct. Like if I knew that uh, my brother-in-law, you know, committed a crime 10 years, years ago and I just found out now, let's say, you know, he robbed a bank or something like that. 
next time I go to the bank with them, I'm probably gonna be like, uh, okay, I know you're cool and everything. I've known you for a while, but still, you know, you that yeah, it's this human instinct for us to think of it that way. So I get where you're coming from with that. Yeah, and and you're now your your judgment's being uh, questioned, right? Mm-hmm. Because for us, uh, a simple traffic stop, a uh, vehicle collision that you go to for us motor officers, there have been times where police officers respond and then take shots fired or have gotten shot and killed responding to a traffic collision. Mm-hmm. So like at any day throughout our shift, like we can be encountered with a uh, traumatic situation, a, a situation where you need to be on your A game where you got to go from zero to a hundred and then make split second, split second decisions under high amounts of stress and you need to be on your A game. Mm-hmm. So if I were to go to my supervisor and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm not here. Like I need a couple days. Number one, they're going to, kind of judge you a little bit. It's just natural. That's human instinct. Yeah. No ill will intended. It's just, it's, it's, it's part of it. It's there. Yeah. It's, and, and you honestly, you have to think about your other officers. If mm-hmm. we're just going to stick with police officers, like if I know that I'm not at my best, maybe it is a good idea for you to go home and then, Hey, I got to pass this up to chain of command. And then when you get back, it's going to be a lot of people knew that you took some time off and questioning and, um, if it does get to a point where um, you need an extended time off, they're like, hey, we'll keep you on light duty. And then you're at the front desk taking uh, walk-in reports or you're helping out records in a suit and you're not in briefing. And then everybody else on your shift or the graveyard team that overlaps is going to be like, hmm, where's this guy at? What's going on with him? And nobody wants to go through that. Yeah, nobody. Nobody in our community wants to go through that. So, um Especially if you're that guy that has the image already that this guy is on top of his game. If you know the perception is if people see that guy or gal, the person that's, that we all think is numero uno in the, the department, you know, do that. It's like, oh, you're never gonna gonna say it, and you'll never get gonna hold it against the person. But it's like that weird human instinct that's you know it's probably been ingrained with us for a hundred thousand years, and we can't pinpoint it. It's just something that happens. You know, it it does for me take a second to pull back from the initial judgment, be like, take a step back. What are they going through? What don't I know? Uh, one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this, this podcast is because it helps me understand how people can gain control over different aspects of their lives. And all the guests that I've had on have had different things that have come up that said, hey, this is what happened in my life or what I did. And I think if I just met you and I know your whole background story, I might have been like everybody else thinking, oh, you know, you used to do two drugs. So, you know, you're probably a, you know, a criminal. You get these instincts that just happen naturally. But then when you hear their story of what really happened, you get the full picture. You're like, honestly, if I was in your spot, maybe I would have done the same exact thing. I, uh, I can only imagine and I can't really relate to what you saw through. Maybe you lost your parents or this traumatic event happened and it all sort of built up. And because of that, you ended up doing th- th- this act, whatever it is. So I've caught myself doing that with many people I've worked with throughout my uh, long time. How many, I've been working, what, 20 some odd years. It's not just law enforcement. It's beyond that before when I used to work in re- retail that you're like, yeah, it's probably a lot you don't know that, that that's going on, but you instinctively trust the people and you instinctively should give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, if he needs a week off or a month off or six months off, something's probably going on that I don't know about and I can't relate to, but I know he's a good person or she's a good person. So I'm like, okay, take all the time you need, do what you got to do. And when you come back, you'll be a new man or a woman, hopefully. And if you still need help, you know, there's, I support you doing what you have to do. Maybe I don't have the resources for you, but I can find something that can help you. And sometimes just 
having people acknowledge that, that, hey, you're, you, you're not judging me because I need to take a month off or a year off, whatever. And I appreciate that. It sort of helps to build a little bit of trust between you and that person. And they remember that. And maybe you're the person that they come to six months down the line, like, hey, got to ask you something, man. Like, you're kind of one of the only people that I trust. You know, I remember back then you didn't judge me or whatever. Here's what I'm going through. And you sort of become like, hey, how can I help you out, man? But yeah, you're right. It's getting over that initial instinct of, okay, what's going on here that a lot of us don't want to get over or go through. Yeah. And that's, and I, I feel like that's a tough part because we are, a, a lot of the time you hear people say like, oh, you, you throw on the, the superhero vest, the superhero uniform, and you're supposed to be like a whole different person. But like, we're, we're human beings just like everybody else. We're yep. affected mm-hmm. by, we're affected by the same stuff that other people are affected by. And something that may trigger you may not trigger me Mm -hmm. and vice versa. It depends on what um, you've been through in your childhood or what incidents I've seen um, in the military that you may not even know about. Um, So I I think number one is the, like the, the stigma, the, the image, the self image that we are too hard on ourselves and we prioritize that self-image over taking care of self, in my opinion. I couldn't agree more than that because it's 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 a big thing. And maybe because we're, we're guys, we, we sort of think the same way. I'm guessing most of the people that you've talked to for, for help have been men. Yeah, mostly, yeah, a majority. Okay. Um, but And it, uh, another point that you brought up, too, was... Uh, your home life with your family and everything. So yeah. that, that's a whole different topic that we'll, we'll dive into. But, um, that's where a lot of the, um, a lot more of the, the ladies have come up with issues and said that, Hey, I, I do need help. I want to go to this first responder, uh, spouse or significant other therapy group and, um, have gone to us for resources. Well, let's get into that part. Cause that's a big one that nobody talks about as well for maybe different reasons for men and women in the relationships. But Overall, when you're in this industry, trying to a shut it off when you get home can be very difficult, especially if you're in a very challenging environment. Uh, but then beyond that, it's this whole mindset of what's sort of my role in the family. And let me just give, give you an example. A lot of us grew up. Uh, you're over thirty, right? Uh, twenty nine. Twenty nine. Oh, twenty nine. Oh man, I feel like Not the old yet. guy now. Uh, May is dirty thirty. Dirty thirty. Well, congratulations coming up to hit the big three zero. What I've seen that I can tell you growing up in the 80s and 90s, we were sort of getting out of this this mindset we didn't know how to figure out of the nuclear family, that it's the traditional man, women get married in their 20s, they have two or three kids, dog, two cars, white picket friends, suburban house, uh, man goes to work for 30 years at the same company, retires with a gold watch, the house is paid off, and then they enjoy the grandkids after that. And then society has changed in a lot of good ways, some ways that we, we can argue whether they are better or not for, for society, but we, we've, we've changed as a culture, as a country. That way of living nowadays, especially here in the Bay Area with our cost of living, where San Mateo County, it, I think the medium income is like $350,000 just to be able to afford a 1960s house in San Bruno. Yeah, like you tell anybody across the country that hey, just to afford a house that's a fixer up from the 1960s, you're gonna your family's gonna have to make about three hundred thousand dollars. Just so you know, you want to come to California, and they can't wrap their heads around it because three hundred thousand dollars anywhere else in this country you can get a 
10 acres, three-story mansion, and you're golden. But here in California, it's a totally different beast. So when you add that on top of trying to raise a family here, it is extremely difficult, which is one of the main reasons, I think, why a lot of us just are deciding not to have kids around here. Because to be able to afford kids, you both pretty much have to work. So you're both out the house 40-plus hours a week, you know, depending on commute. And then you're like, well, who's raising the kids? Well, if I have mom or auntie there, then maybe that they can help us. But me personally, I'm like, I kind of don't want no one else raising my kids if I had it. That's just me. Maybe I'm the, uh, the anomaly on this. But if both of you have to work, then you're not really seeing each other. Maybe some people just get so caught up in work because that's the comfort zone. And now you really don't see, see the family. And then the snowball effect just keeps on going. Have you seen the same thing? Yeah, and and you literally took the words right out of my mouth. The the comfort zone. Yeah. And and when you, like, as we've just discussed, like the first responders and veteran community, like we go through so much stuff at work. Whether it's the stick, the stigma, the the self image, the traumatic calls, the short staffing, the reports, the court, everything that goes into it, the training, everything that you have to keep up to standards, and like do well in your job, you also have to take care of your family. So you're like playing a big balancing act, like which is which is really more important. And there are a lot of times where I have heard problems at the household and then people will pick up overtime shifts or say, hey, you know, I got forced to work overtime this day, but they picked up the overtime on their own just to not really avoid family time, which snowball effect down the down the road causes more problems at home potentially leads to a divorce then leads problem to your department and there and there you go it's just it's just a slippery slope so um yeah I, i think in our in our community the what you do off the job with your family is just as important as on the job Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm making a point to tell these, these young kids coming in, kids, you know, like maybe 21, 22, 20, 23, it's like, geez, am I, I'm getting old talking about that's the kid. <laughs> so that's how I feel. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not even 30 yet. Yeah. These but, new guys coming in, I'm like, oh my God, you just made me feel like a 40 year old. Oh man, man exactly. Uh, but one thing that I've seen is, and I would have done the same thing if I was that young too. You get this, this job, you're like, man, I got this, this great career, man. It's going to be awesome. And then what do you do? Especially as a guy, you start buying toys. Buy a truck. The Every- truck. A Everybody's raptor. got a truck and, and it's always a white truck. Why is everybody getting a white truck? You see our parking lot. It's like a Ford dealership. Everybody's got a white truck. Uh, you buy the toys and you start buying, you know, other things. Maybe you buy, you know, cool watches or you like to collect good alcohol or you want to go travel the world. And then you start living a little bit above your means. And then if you're single, what do you do? Yeah, I'll just work some overtime. I'll make it up for it. Okay. So now you're getting used to working 50 plus hours a week. You don't notice it when you're 22. You're just like, Shh, I can go all night if I have to. You want to work a 16-hour shift? Done. I'll take it. And then you get married. And then you have kids. And I am i don't have kids, so I don't know through experience, but I can just guess and talking to everybody else that kids aren't exactly easy on the wallet. You know, you're going to have to buy food, clothes, schools, start college funds. Things start to add up that you don't experience early on. But you're so used to living this lifestyle of I got the $700 car payment, the $500 insurance payment a month for the car. Uh, I got this, you know, this Rolex or the, whatever it is. I don't say Rolex. Nobody, if anybody has a Rolex in our industry, you shouldn't be in our industry. <laughs> you're uh, doing something wrong. Exactly. Uh, 
you're so used to this and now you you set the bar here i have to work 60 some odd hours a week just to maintain that and now you have all these other commitments the wife and the kid so now you're outside of the house for 60 plus hours a week and you're not really taking care of the family and a lot of us get in the mindset of well if i'm working then my partner's taking care of the kids so i'm doing my part i'm bringing the, the cash in and they're taking care of the kids so life's good right got, got, got it and we never talk about that part there. Well, that's where the things start breaking down at home because you're never around. You know, your partner has their needs, too. It's like uh, we didn't get married just to have kids. And then I'm just going to sit at home while you go out and work. It's like, you know, they say 1920 anymore. We they, you want to, like, build something together to be an actual partnership. And that takes time and commitment. But if you're doing 60 plus hours a week because you have to pay the bills, you set yourself up for a really dangerous path in the future. And one of the things I want to make sure I tell the, the, uh, new, the new guys is to make sure you live below, at or below your means, because you have no idea in the future, especially if you start having a family, how lucky you're going to be to have that mindset. And we'll talk, we talk about finances like the 457B and whatnot, but I think it starts there. I think it starts there, and then it just sort of, as the years go on, that's the, the trend that I've seen. What are your thoughts on that trend? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see it too. And it's also the same thing in the military. Like you have guys that just got to get out of uh, out of basic training or they go to their infantry school or their A school, whatever the case may be. And there's a Ford dealership right next to base conveniently. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Right? They're like, oh yeah, we'll give you really good interest rates. And, and then people deploy and then like, oh, I can't take the car on deployment. So now I'm going to sell the car and they lose a bunch of money. Um, but like for me when I went through the police academy and then throughout my 18 months in probation, I, I was never educated on anything financial assistance or um, I never had like a financial advisor or even really discussed finances. It was always for me, it was just whenever you work overtime, like put it in your comp bank, you can use it for days off or you can cash it out if you need to. That was really it. <laughs> so back again with the education level, like, I don't like for you when you went through the academy or your first year or two on, did anybody ever sit you down and be like, like what you're doing now to the 21, yeah. 22 year olds? Did you ever have that? Well, I went to the academy during the financial crisis. And if you remember back at that time, nobody was hiring. So departments were only hiring laterals or academy graduates. So I and to me, this was normal. My academy class, except for two people, were not affiliates, which means for everybody out there, that means you pay for yourself to go to the academy. You pay for all your supplies. You pay for your uniform. You're not getting the, the academy is 40 plus years. 40 plus years. It feels like that. It's 40 plus hours a week. It's not just the classroom. It's the cleaning the boots, the cleaning the gun, the going to the range at night, to going to driving, doing flashcards when you're doing all your, your tests. So, oh, by the way, you got to be there promptly at 730 to raise the flag and then you're there all day. Uh you don't have time for a full-time job. You don't even have time for a part-time job, to tell you the truth. People try to do it, and it almost never works because you need to commit to the academy. When a department hires you to put you through the academy, they're giving you a paycheck, and they're paying for your expenses in the, the academy, so you don't have to worry about that part. When you put yourself through, you have, to, <laughs> you have to have a lot of support in order for you to pay for the academy, which is one thing, but also support yourself through it. And, you know, for me, I got lucky. Things sort of fell into place. I got laid off from my job. I was able to collect unemployment. And this is when Obama had extended it a little bit. So lucky for me, it carried me through the academy. So I was able to support myself. I moved back in with my mother for a little bit to save money there. And really, the money I got from unemployment was just paying the car and paying my basic food and necessities because my focus was on the, the academy. 
and you're right, nobody told me there about, hey, this is what you can expect in the future. So that's what I knew going into it. And then I had to wait another two years to actually get, get hired finally because it just took so long for departments who were getting, just cities were getting bombarded by all the financial crisis because they lost so much money in pensions. They're like, we have to reevaluate how we're going to do all this. That's why they changed our retirement number to 57 now. It used to be mm-hmm. 50. Uh, but nobody told me about, you know, plan for this and plan for that. It was just, okay, I have to pay my way to the, the academy. And once I get in, uh, I know the salary range that I'll probably get. And I could probably make a good career out of that make a good living off of it. And by the time I got hired, I was 31 years old. So a lot of my, you know, early dumb 20 stuff I did already got out of my system. So I didn't have to experience that. And like, I didn't get the, I still have the same 07 Civic now that I had way back when I started the academy. I'm like, the car runs great. Liability insurance. It looks beautiful. I don't need a new car. So I didn't fall into the trap of I'm going to buy all these toys. But, you know, I did go on a couple of trips. But, yeah, no one tells you, hey, by the, by the way, these are some stats. If you do this, like they, the only stat that they, they throw out is the, the divorce stat. Hey, guess what? When you become a cop, 50% divorce rate, yep. just so you know if you want to yep. get married. Yep. And we sort of joke about that. They're like, oh, you're going to get divorced. It's just that's the only stat that we really talk about. But, yeah, no one talks about money. And it's it, a big starting point. Yeah, it, it is. And that's. That's the awareness to recognizing the stress within yourself to work on yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. if there's more awareness of the financial uh, issues where you go out and spend a bunch of money, if there's more awareness of the divorce rate or the, uh, the, the, what do I, how am I, how do I want to word this? The post-traumatic stress injury rate of our community, like maybe having more awareness will click with someone and be like, okay, like these are some signs and symptoms or these are the things that I need to look out for that have mm-hmm. happened in the past at this department with certain people. And then two to three years on, if that person, he or she experiences that, then they can recognize that within themselves and then get help. Exactly. I, I'll, so I'll tell you, um, yeah. I won't name names, but I can give you an example of somebody that sort of, they started in the similar path. I got in young Bought the stuff, bought the, the the toys. Then I got married, have kids, because that's just what you're supposed to do. That's what my mom wanted me to do, and that's what I figure you're supposed to do with, with this whole career. Well, I need to work more overtime because things are more expensive. Now I'm on the streets more. Now I'm exposed more to the stuff that we see every day because it happens more frequently. Or maybe I feel that the management doesn't understand me, or they don't like the way that I do things. So now I'm dealing with that stress. So I'm at work 60-plus hours a week dealing with what I see on the calls for service, I may have some issues with management. This is not me, by by the way. Um, I may have some issues with, with management, and I have that stress. And oh, by the way, I'm not at home with my significant other. I haven't seen my kids. Maybe I'm working uh, night sh- or swing shift is a horrible one because then you really don't see your kids because you go to work before they get up and you're home. They're, they're asleep. already asleep. Maybe you're stuck on that, that shift. So then things start to build up and doing that year after year after year. And then... You're like, who do I talk to? Do I really want to talk to my spouse about all this stuff? They're not going to understand it, or they're going to think I'm just complaining about it, and they, and they can't help me, so why bother telling them? Uh, I could talk to my partners about it, and at least they know what I'm going through at work, but then is that, is that always, it can be, but is that always the healthiest thing? If Because sometimes you might have a good partner who can help you out, and they, hey, let me help you out, and sometimes that person can also just, enrage you more like yeah you know i got screwed over too and then it just becomes this big Mm -hmm. this big other snowball effect there uh and for him he uh kind of fell into that same cliche thing 
got divorced, uh, still working 70 plus hours a week. And that's his comfort zone. That's what he knows. He's like, well, at least I have this. At least I, they can't take that away from me. You know, I can still go out there and do my thing. And then what no one wants to tell him is like, yeah, it's, I guess it's sort of good. You have something, but if you have that one injury or that one, uh, that one bad IA, whatever, and you don't have that badge anymore, then that's like the last straw. Then it's like, well, what do I have? And a lot of people, I think in their forties who go through that and are kind of basically told time to start over. That's a lot to ask of somebody. That's a lot to say at 45. Yeah. Time to start over. You lost everything for, you know, for whatever reason. Now, are you going to go back to school? Or are you going to find a new career? And at that age, trying to do that is just, I can't even comprehend that. Seen a similar thing. Yeah. I mean, and everybody knows it. Like first responders and service members, like 50% divorce rate more than likely. So, um, you're paying for child support. Uh, you have to work more exactly like what you said. Every single department has it mm-hmm. and you, you see it all the time where it's like, Oh no, he's got to work another couple of years. Cause he's still got to pay for child support. Exactly. And there's, I, I feel like what you mentioned before with um, like the family still back at the house where you have to balance your work life and your family life. If there was more awareness or resources out there for the first responder and the spouse or significant other to go to therapy or to hear podcasts about other first responders and spouses discuss their experience of what went wrong and what didn't go wrong, Mm -hmm. then maybe we can try to reduce the rate of divorces. What has been your experience with the Overwatch Collective in terms of, do you think people want the help but they don't know where the resources are at or they know there's resources and they're just like I just don't want to it's too much work I don't want to call somebody that I don't like what's been of those two options what do you think has been the bigger challenge to break through um I think knowing what resources are out there is like number one like people don't really know and then number two it's the I don't want to go through the peer support I don't trust my military unit my department um, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to lose a self image. Like I'll figure it out. I'll keep it hush hush and I'll wear a mask while I'm at work. Mm. So people say like, Mike, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. Cool. Like that happens every day when you're yeah. walking by each other. And in reality, like I may not be good. Like there could be stuff going on at home, but I'm just going to wear a mask while I'm at work and hide my emotions and what's really going on. And that's why a lot of the time when we see people that end it all, they're like, I had no idea. Like this was completely out of the blue. Yeah. That's where, where that comes from essentially. So, um, how do we break through that? And we don't have the answers here. So anybody listening or watching, we're not going to solve this problem today. This is more of an open discussion to get our thoughts out there. But in your opinion, how do we break through that barrier? Let's just assume that the resources are out there. You go to the briefing room or the lunchroom or the VA, numbers are across the board here. You need help. Call this number here. You need a counsel. Here's a free counseling. It's all there for you. How do we break through that bear of getting people to take that next step? Yeah, and it, it's all about normalizing. And we did a uh, we did a podcast with this amazing lady, Ashley Iverson. So her husband uh, Cody was killed in the Thomas fires in Southern California. So now mm. she's the head of the Iverson Foundation. So we did a podcast with her, and asked the same question came up, and we're like exactly like what you said. Where it's like we don't have the answer, but we wish we did. She said, and "This is quote." 
you can have all the resources available. It could be free. You can literally have everything at your disposal, but ultimately it's up to you. So it is. It's that cliche. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it, him drink. Exactly. 100%. You, you cannot make it drink. And um, so our kind of answer at the Overwatch Collective is um, we came up with a buddy program. So we have 30 people on our website that um, they all have a photograph of them, their email and a bio. So for example, um, my mother's on there and she's like, Hey, my name's Donna. Uh, I've been married to a first responder and a veteran been on for 42 years, military X years, multiple deployments. My two sons are first responders. If you need anything, reach out Mm -hmm. next Donna's on there from season four, episode one. Yeah who talks about her husband who ended it all. And he was a California Highway patrol officer. She's on there. Um, so that's completely confidential. And like, if I were to go reach out to someone, it would be me and them. And that's it. Like mm-hmm. our board of directors doesn't even find out about it. Um, and we have people on there that get coffee once a month. And now they check up on each other. So it's like having a resource where the department doesn't need to know. Nobody on your shift needs to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that we're kind of doing is uh completely confidential you don't even go through your peer support or your employment assistant program and go to like for us it would be kaiser mm-hmm. uh, we totally forego that you come to us you fill out a release of liability a one to two page like statement of who you are what you do why you need financial assistance and therapy mm-hmm. um, and then we connect that person to a therapist and then pay for them to go to therapy. Gotcha. Uh, in your opinion, obviously don't name names, but of the people who have taken advantage of the buddy system versus the people that you know have been told about it, are those numbers where you want them to be at? Like, would you say the majority of people who you've told about the buddy system take advantage of it, or do you still see that number as something that we need to work on. Uh, so I, I can't even accurately give you an example because we don't hear about a lot gotcha. of the times okay. that some random person reaches out to a buddy. Oh, okay, gotcha. So every time gotcha. someone joins the buddy program, we, we tell them like, hey, thank you for being available uh, 24-7 via email. And just so you know, like someone can reach out from anywhere mm-hmm. essentially in the country or the world and be like, hey, I see that you... Uh, you, you lost your husband and I lost my husband too. And I'm just going through it. And I know it's been 16 years for you, but I need to talk to you and kind of get some ideas and, um, see what helped you. So then you can help me. Um, well, how about this, uh, from the buddies that you've heard, the people who are in the buddy system, do you get feedback? Like I'm getting a lot of responses or like, I wish I had more. Um, we have yet to get, I wish I had more. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have only gotten, Hey, I've had people reach out to me. I've had people gotcha. reach out okay. to me, which is cool because we'll get like a random message or a random email and be like, Hey guys, just want to let you know, like I, I had three people reach out to me this week. Mm-hmm. Um, a, another fellow EMT or fellow firefighter for, as an example. Um, and it's like he, he or she didn't feel comfortable going through the peer support. So, he or she came to me and I was able to help him or her through it. And then we're like, cool, that's what we want. Gotcha. So the buddy program is working. Okay. Got it. I thought about this for a while. Like how would I get 
people to get the resources that you guys are offering? How would you get through that barrier, especially when you don't know what's going on in pretty much everybody's lives? You know their face when you work with them in the department. It's pretty much it. Departments that have, and they have to do this, that arrive two people in a car. So pretty much you're assigned, you know, you and your partner, and different departments do it differently. I'm not sure. You guys don't have partners in the car, right? No. Neither do we. So I don't know how different departments do it. Some people assign you like, okay, you and Jack are partners on the graveyard shift and you'll ride the same car for the next six months. Or sometimes they may do it every day. Who wants to ride with who? Whatever. I don't know how it works with every department, but let's say you're with somebody and your partners and you'd be on the same car, the same shift. You're probably going to know that person a lot more than you may even know your family because you guys are literally talking about everything and when you're going to calls you literally are backing each other up you know he or she your your partner pretty much has your life in their their hands if you go do a traffic stop they're going to be the ones they're going to help you they're the ones with the arresting control techniques or if things really go bad they're going to be, be the one to help you if you're a deputy sheriff or a chp officer and you're with with the partner and you make a stop in a rural country road where your backup is 20 minutes away going code three your partner is pretty much has their life in your hands. So when you have that much trust in somebody, things tend to come out more. Having somebody to talk to was a benefit for that, that system is that you knew if you had problems at home, you and your partner can talk it out. Hey man, you know, the wife this or my dad that, you can talk with that person probably more than you could talk to the people in your own personal life. But I started thinking about how do you get that level of trust for everybody? For the departments, for people like us who ride solo, where if we don't get a call for service, let's say a couple hours, I may not see my partner on the shift for a while because he's dealing with his own call or she's dealing with this, this call over here or my calls don't require a backup officer. Maybe they're like a parking ticket issue or something like, like that. So you don't really have time to build that level of trust in agencies where you're riding solo. So I'm like, how do you really fix that, that problem? And I think if we could figure out that answer, that's going to help us out a lot to be able to say, I trust you. You know more about me maybe than my own wife does or husband does. You think I'm going through something bad. I trust you to tell me what's happening. Oh, you know Greg Grogan at the Overwatch Bunch Collective. I trust you because I trust you. I'm going to go look at his thing. Maybe that person... Maybe they're like in Nebraska or something like that. They don't know you per, uh, personally, but they may hear about it and say, okay, he's got some re resources, but I kind of want somebody that I trust to tell me to go there. But if he has a partner who knows you and knows your resource, he's like, dude, trust me. This is what you need to get to. All right, Jack, if you say so, I trust you. I'm going to go take take advantage of that. That's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. How can we get better with that? So that's actually kind of funny you bring it up. That happened last night. Really? Yeah. So one of my friends, he, uh, he he's at a training um, in Northern California and, um, he, he was sent there with a couple fellow, uh, SWAT officers in this training and, um, they got paired up in uh, different groups. So like group one goes over here, group two over here, group three. And he, he got paired up with this gentleman who, um, uh, was from a different agency. He didn't know this was his first time meeting him. And, uh, kind of like when you're in the group setting, you, you kind of get to know each other, but you're a little hesitant and yeah. who's the outgoing one, who's the quiet one, whatever the case may be. And, um, so they had their first day and then, um, my buddy went to the local steakhouse right across the street to go get some dinner and a drink. So, uh, goes there, asks for a table one and they're like, no, we don't have a table one or go sit at the bar. Well, who's sitting at the bar? The gentleman that he just met. Hmm. And, uh, so they get to talking. Obviously, they're both police officers. They're both on the SWAT team, so they have a 
a something in common other than just being a cop. They break the ice with that. They break the ice with that. Exactly. So, uh, they start talking and then, uh, one of them opens up about their officer involved shooting. And then the other one opens up saying, Hey, you know, I was involved in the same kind of thing and I don't have the resources that you got and I'm really affected by it. And like, I, I haven't gotten any, uh, therapy counseling. Nobody from the department has said like, Hey, this is what you should do. Or this is something to think about, or here's a resource. So then my buddy handed him one of our cards and said, Hey, like I, I can vouch for this nonprofit. Like they'll take care of you. Not saying that you need to reach out to them tonight or tomorrow, but just know that if things get bad or you finally get to the point where it's like, okay, I, I can't do this by myself, then you can reach out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of funny that you bring it up because that literally just happened last night, uh, but doesn't happen that often. Um, but I, I think going back to what you said about um, the Oakland PD writing together in doubles, I, I think there are pros and cons to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do think the pros are that you're going to bond with your partner and then uh, obviously you're going to have a stronger relationship than you would with someone that's working the west or the east side of the city that you don't really see that much. Right. So then essentially you have your own buddy, like as we would say in our buddy program for talk, um, you have your own buddy that you can reach out to. It's kind of like the movie End of Watch that everybody's yeah. seen where they're like in the car rolling together all the <laughs> time. Movie, like, yeah. like they talk about everything um, and then you have a resource where everything probably stays within the car. I'm glad you brought the movie up because that, you know, it's a movie, yes, but those two actors, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pina is his name, they actually wrote with LAPD for, I don't even know how long that, that yeah. they wrote. They wanted to get into, they didn't want to just say, okay, here's a cop uniform, we're going to ride around like we're police officers. They literally were at these these calls for service. They were literally in, I think, East LA going to some of these really dangerous neighborhoods where you're, you're rolling five, six officers deep because you know this could escalate very fast. Like, they saw things firsthand because they wanted to make that movie authentic. I mean, it was authentic. I mean, the last part, how it ended was really, well, the very end was very emotional, obviously. But even leading up to that, the whole shootout thing, it's, okay, maybe that doesn't happen every day. But, you know, the fact that it could and that... Your partner is the whole idea was your your partner. You guys are together. You know each other better than than your spouses. You're depending on him to save your life, and he's doing the same thing for you. It's uh, yeah. It was a it was a great movie, but it also showed the bigger image that I saw, which was that whole partner bonding thing and that trust building. And you know, it can be hard to speak to your spouses about the stuff you see on the streets. We we talked about it already, but your partner gets it. They understand. They work with the same bosses. They work with the same people. They go to the same calls. They get it. And it's being able to have resources available where it just takes one person to say, okay, I'm going to take that first step. And they get a good experience from it. Now they're an advocate for you. Now they can tell their partner if it ever comes up or their partner might know, oh, this is how it happens sometimes. You know, partner A and partner B. Partner A goes out and gets some resources. Partner B will give them a little shit like, oh, you know, did you really have to call that? They just kind of just joke with them, whatever. And then partner A gets a positive experience. And then partner B is like, actually, uh, that's, you know, can you tell me more about it? Like the, the joke was like that wall they're putting up like, ah, I don't need that, man. You know, you're going to do all that. But actually I see you're okay. Come on. Just help me out here, man. I can, I'm kind of going through a similar thing. And then, Oh, actually, here you go. You know, but would that partner B go to the station and say, yeah, you know, I think I should, uh, you know, I should talk to somebody. They would have no no clue or they don't know who to trust. But that partner trust, that's where the benefit comes from, which is 
how do we do that with single officer agencies where you're in the car by yourself and you may not see your partner for the whole shift? Yeah, I, I think it's a challenge. And I, I, I don't, I honestly don't think you can get to the point where you trust everybody on your shift or mm-hmm. on the patrol team. Let's say you have 50 officers in patrol for your department. Oh I, yeah, there's I, yeah, there's always going to be some people that you're just okay. I work yeah. with you that that's great, but there's going to be a few that, and it's different for everybody. Like, I may trust person A and B, but I just don't trust person C and D. But you trust person C and D, you don't trust yeah. So there's always going to be that there. Uh, but I sort of, it's like we were talking about earlier with the, with the uh, show and how this show is going to grow slower and organically. And a lot of the way, and a lot of the reason why this show is taking the momentum that it is slowly is because of the word of mouth. Because when I sit here and talk to somebody and I give them a good experience and I hold my word and I tell them exactly what, what's, what's going on here so there's no, um, there's no like they're going to stab me in the back, whatever, they then tell other people, hey, this is a great experience. He took care of me. This is what he did. That person now says, okay, well, he reached out to me and because you had a great experience and I know you, I'm going to give him a chance. Whereas that person never would have given me a chance at like episode one or two because like, who are you? I don't know. When I, what's this whole thing about? And it's sort of like that with our, our departments is if there's that one or two, one or two people in your department that you trust that, you know, and if we can make them the advocates for the mental health, that's my thing is like, how can we work this great, the resources that you have into that intertwined thing? And that just takes time, it takes time and helping you get the message out there. Like, this is a resource. This is a great thing that isn't offered out there. And I think that one of the biggest things that I like about what you guys offer is the confidentiality that the departments and the employers don't have to know, hey, you're, you're getting this. They're just like, I got stuff taken care of. It's getting taken care of. Main thing is I show up to work. I do what I got to do. Like, you, you guys are good. Okay, I'm going to go take care of this over here. That's the big benefit that you guys offer that I'm excited to get out there more. I'm glad that we're talking about it. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, I, I appreciate it. And that's, it, it's, it may not be the answer. We don't have the answer to, to stop all of our, our first responder and veteran community from, from taking their own lives. We, we don't have the answer. We, we can't physically prevent that, but what we can do is kind of do what we're doing. And, um, it, it's taken a little bit of a while to kind of figure out the best way to go about it, but it's, it's different. I feel like with us, and this is not to like pat ourselves on the shoulder or do anything crazy, but the, the co-founders, me and my buddy, Jesse, we're both military. We were both deployed. We were both away from our families. And then I'm a police officer, first responder, family, brother's a firefighter down in Southern California. Mm-hmm. We've both been in relationships, in a relationship currently as a first responder and a service member. He is a service member, married, just had a new kid. Like we get mm-hmm. the community. And yeah. I feel like a, a lot of times when our first responders reach out through the employment assistant program, they get connected to uh, a therapist that has no idea what our community deals with. Yeah, that's a big one right there. If you've never been in, you really can't relate. You're like, oh, you're a firefighter. Okay, so you put out fires. Okay, that's kind of where it ends. Oh, you're a police officer. You arrest criminals. Yeah, okay, that must be tough. And then not realizing um, we also go to these other calls, you know, baby calls mm-hmm. or like drug calls, overdoses. We don't just go to out and arrest people. We do a lot of other stuff. And that's actually the... It's almost like the arresting part is the simple part. It's it, these it other is. things that, that that's are. That's the easy part. Yeah. yeah. That's the easy part. It's like, and it's, yeah. And so I feel like it's it's the same like with what we're doing right here. Like if you just had the podcast and you were not a police officer, we, we wouldn't be able to talk 
so much about law enforcement, but we can because we we know what the job's like. Mm-hmm. And we get it. I, if I were to go to therapy, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to go to a therapist that works with uh, that that doesn't work with first responders that doesn't get what we go through. Or I would want to see a therapist that was a prior first responder that has now changed careers and can actually sit down and be like, here's my resume. Look, I was a police officer. I've been Mm -hmm. to these calls too. So then you're more comfortable opening up and relating. So we did a, uh, a podcast with this gentleman named Mark. He was a, a, a paramedic in the Bay area and, um, he was on for over 10 years and saw a bunch of traumatic stuff like, like we do on a daily basis. But, Mm -hmm. um, he was in a terrible area working on an ambulance as a paramedic the call for service that kind of ticked him off and was like, Hey, I need to get help. Maybe need to get out of this was, um, a welfare check on a baby goes in. The mother is high on methamphetamines and literally has the baby on the stove in a boiling pan. Mm. So that was the one that triggered him was finally like, okay, like takes that mask off, takes the big leap. And is like, you know what? I do need to go speak to someone to get help. Step number one, right? Which That's is a, a big which, one. which is a huge thing for our community, which we don't see that much. So like, hey, kudos, good on you. I'm proud of you. Goes to his first therapy session and is excited about it, opens up about it, and the therapist's reaction is like, eyes double the size, wide open, and it's like, oh my God, like that's what you see? That's what you saw? And like doesn't understand it at all. It's like, oh my God, that's what you deal with? Made him realize, oh my God, I am messed up and completely shut down. <laughs> Jeez. So it's like taking that big leap of faith. Like, hey, I'm going to finally take the step. Like I've been hearing, I'm going to get some help. And then just being like shut down mm-hmm. and realizing like, hey, I am screwed up. Like normal people don't see this. And then that's like, he completely shut down after that. That is, I mean, that's just a, that experience. I mean, there's been some... It's like I remember one. I gotta be careful saying this one here, but let's just say you know those big PG&E transmission towers, the big silver ones yes. that are all around here. Uh, somebody thought it'd be a good idea to climb up there, uh, and I'm there trying to talk him down. And something somebody else said, or his mind flipped, or whatever, and he thought it'd be a good idea to go out and touch the wire, and he did. And uh, that was a long plunge, and yeah. I'm the first one over there over the fence, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm about to see. He survived. First of all, it was a tree, and the, and the tree pretty much broke the fall. I mean, he had some broken stuff we won't get into, but he survived the actual fall. And I'm like, geez, like that that wasn't uh, kind of the call you'd ever expect to go on. Like somebody deciding to climb up a 200-foot power pole and think it's a good idea that, they're gonna, that they can see whatever they can see out there. And then the, <laughs> the explosion, I was like, if you, if you saw the body camera, the, the, it just goes white because that's how big that, um, that bolt of energy was. And then, you know, they airlift him out. And then we were like, okay, I guess we're 10-8. Down to the next call. Yeah. Hey, there's a shoplifter or there's a found property. Can you go take care of that? Yeah, I'll take care of that. I was like, <laughs> I just saw that <laughs> thing. And I'm like, wow, okay. I guess we're just moving on. It took me like a, like a day or two. And then I, I will give my department credit. They, they The captains came in right after that. They're like, hey, you know, let's talk about it. What's, what you guys feeling? You know, what can we offer? You know, they were doing the best that they could. Cause they're like, this doesn't happen every day. We're new at this too. So we just want to let you know if you guys need anything, you know, we're here to offer it to you. So I, I will give them credit for that one to put that out there. But you know, it doesn't take away that it happened. You're like, how do you process this? And I can imagine somebody seeing an incident that 
that traumatic every day. You know, once in a blue moon, maybe you can probably get over like, yeah, that happened 10 years ago, whatever. But it happens every day or every other day. It's like that does build up in you, whether it's like that or baby calls. That To me, that's the one that gets me is the baby calls. Like, oof, people do this to the, yeah, people, some people out there are just not right in the head for whatever reason. And yeah, those are the ones that get me. And I don't even have kids. Uh, yeah, I, I don't either. And thankfully, I, I've never been on a, a SIDS death or anything crazy like that. And I never, I never want to. Obviously, nobody ever wants to deal with those calls. And like with that, what you mentioned, what comes to mind is there's no preparation for these, really. Like if you think about it, like a baby two months old, unconscious, not breathing, fire medics en route. If it's your beat, you're you're probably responding code three and you're okay. where's the house? This is the route that I need to take. And you, you, you don't really have time to sit there and stand outside the house and be like, okay, give me a second to myself. Yeah. What am I about to see? Okay. Deep breaths. Woo saw hold for four exhale for four. You, you don't have any of that in our profession yeah. and you're kind of just thrown into it. And then you experience something that you should never really experience. And then you go on to the next call and the next call and the next call. Yeah. And then all of that just eventually builds up. Right. And that's why I've seen a common theme of, people in our community finally going to therapy finally whether it's a terrible call for service where they have to go to therapy or they voluntarily go where like i mentioned before they don't start with that specific incident to debrief Mm -hmm. they go way back in your career so it could be five six seven therapy sessions until you actually get to the real reason why you're there yeah, it's uh, it's not in and out the door. Okay, I'm good, right? Thanks, Doc. It's yeah, th- that's not a thing. And most departments cover five, seven, eight therapy sessions, and it may take you five sessions to get to that root cause. And then after that, you're on your own paying $180 a therapy session. And then we talk about finances like we yeah. did earlier in the Bay Area, and you, you can't afford $300 a month maybe yes on therapy so you're like dude like i could push that to the side we're good it makes you wonder if it's this is a policy thing really but it makes you wonder if it's almost prudent for a department to hire somebody maybe like an ex officer who was did 20 years here who knew everything and somehow make some sort of agreement with them like hey you know you worked with a lot of these guys here um can you be a resource for them where you know, they have to go through the certifications and figure out pay and compensation and all that, that stuff. But if there's a way that we could work with that, where somebody that the people who in this agency trust already, cause they work with the person that that can be like the go-to one. And uh, yeah, I don't know how that would, would work. It would be a, a logistical challenge, but that would automatically be, Hey, could we give our officers free to, to them counseling with somebody that they already have a trust with who, you know, can be relied on for confidentiality reasons. Like it's, it's a tall task, but if we could figure that one out, that would be a great investment. I I think that'd be awesome. I I think the, the big part about the, the getting the help is number one, the confidentiality. Like Mm -hmm. it is huge. There's no way people in our community are going to go to their peer support team. If they've heard that one officer has gone through it before and then somehow it got out. Yeah, exactly. And that like that's the You hate biggest, to say it about our industry, but you know, people talk and it's like It's like high school. Yeah, I know. It's it's it, ridiculous it is, sometimes. We're like little girls at high school and like everybody 
Everybody finds out. Yeah, you, you know. are not supposed to find out about those. But one person talks, the other person <laughs> talks, the other person talks. Yeah. How is it going to be if Greg or Mike say, "Hey, you know, like I, I've been pretty depressed lately ever since this. Like, yeah. every time I kind of holster my gun, or if you start saying anything like triggering like that, yeah, like that's a red flag, and boom, you're light duty or you're on admin <laughs> yeah. leave, and then an email gets sent out to the entire department saying that Greg's on." administrative leave yeah and then people text you it's just like i have zero problem if if i do some funny and stupid like hey you remember that that one call you, you tripped on the curb and like it was a really funny moment nobody got hurt whatever i like i got no problem with that getting out like yeah I, that, was, that, was, that was pretty stupid like yeah. that part i get uh it's the things that like are supposed to be confidential i remember instances that happened like still haven't forgot about that like oh you let that slip out and you weren't supposed to okay mental note mm-hmm. That trust is never going to be there. That person will never know it, but I know it. Like, yeah, it's just, I remember that. So you, you're you right. You have to find somebody that is, integrity is number one, that they got to be able to say, I don't work for the, I'm not one of you guys anymore on the beat, but if, if you're going to tell me something, I have an incredible responsibility to keep that secret. And I know if I screw up and I tell so-and-so, hey, you know, I had a meeting with John, this is what he said. I'm done. Like that's that's completely broken, not just for that person, but the rest of the department. It just it just takes one incident. Yep. So yeah, that's the challenge with it. Is how could you, how could you make that happen where it's a free resource for the department, somebody they initially trust, and everything there, certification. So yeah, I don't know how departments could figure it out, but if there was a way to make that one happen, I think that's like low hanging fruit. Like yeah, right there. And, and that there are some departments, and 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 the cool thing about us is we we've kind of hit. Um, an audience kind of all over the country. It's like we have a gentleman in Massachusetts that's a police officer now and we're, he he reached out to someone in a group therapy setting and that person snitched on him and then they started like, he was on probation at the time and then ultimately after a long process, not gonna get into it, uh, he ended up resigning in lieu of termination. Mm. And now he's looking for another department, but obviously the other department's going to do a background check and reach out to said department. Exactly. So then it causes problems. So it's like the the risk is huge mm-hmm. for people to reach out for help. So that's why I can be a huge advocate for our nonprofit and like sending people to therapy and ensuring them that like, hey, we'll, we'll pay for you to go mm-hmm. and your department will never know. Like there are police officers in the Bay Area that we have going to therapy, that we have firefighters that are going to therapy mm-hmm. and they literally say like, Hey, thank you so much. Like I appreciate it. And that, that makes my day. That's like, great to hear. That's, that that's really what is. we're here for. And I've heard it countless times where they're like, Hey, I just don't trust my department. And like, if it wasn't for you guys, I would have had to number one, find a therapist, which is really difficult. Find a therapist that works with first responders. And then I would have had to pay $180 a session. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, so I don't care where you're at, even with the salaries that we may make here, objectively, when you compare our salaries to police officers around the, around the country, you didn't know anything else, we get paid pretty well here. It's relative to cost of living. It's like, actually, it's not that much considering how things, things cost, but no matter what, 180 bucks is still 180 bucks to anybody. For 60 minutes or Six, 50 minutes. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Like you're just, like we were talking earlier in these episodes, it, you about the 45 minute mark is where people start opening up when they sit across the table here. If that was a therapy session, okay, we're opening up, you got 10 minutes left. And then, all right, next person, it's a challenge. This is actually, in in some you know different way, it's, this is actually part of my therapy, if you will, when I sit down and talk to people. 
like for me personally, what I found that works is first of all, was the, the financial thing, not living above my means. So I don't start taking these overtime shifts. I do my time that I'm supposed to do there. Obviously, if it's a critical incident or I have to hold over, yeah, I'm definitely down. But yeah. I'm not like, hey, I want the extra 12 hours this week because I want to buy X items. So that part I had to get over. And then it's making sure that I and me and my wife have had this conversation. It's like I have to make sure that I am devoting the, the time to our relationship as well because she's got her full. She got her business. We're about to open up a new salon. I should probably won't be talking about that, but either way, it's taking a lot of time out of our day. And then plus I have the, the podcast, which I enjoy. So I have to make sure that when I do everything that I time the days where like, hey, Monday is our day or right now we're on a rotating schedule four on four off. So my day is off change. But we can plan to say next Thursday, that, that's our day. Let's go here. Uh, I'm not going to do editing. I'm not going to do an interview. I'm not going to take overtime. Like that's our day to do whatever because we don't get that much time. But it's a challenge to make sure I make that time. Because for a while there, I wasn't. For a while there, I was like, oh, you're off today. Yeah, I'm just going to um, do my editing. And then... Uh, yeah, then there. <laughs> yes, it yeah. builds up. And it's like yeah. natural to us because like, I got a task. I want to finish it. I got so many things I got to do. And then you forget about the person next to you. And you're like... And I've had this conversation... Well, the conversation I've had this out to myself before. It's like, if I screw this up, am I really going to find somebody else who's going to tolerate me? Do I really want to go out there on the dating market again and deal with all the stuff they have now? Now they have social media. They didn't have that when I was dating. There was no such thing as Tinder and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole different ballpark now. It's like, actually, I have a really great thing and I don't want to screw it up. So I have to make sure that I balance my time accordingly. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm okay not having children because this helps me give back to others who are already here who need like for example just getting this information out there to people who may be thinking or didn't know yet that your corporation exists and now that they they know that brings me a lot of joy that i can help get this information out getting other people's stories of, out there about how they've overcome adversity or they were living a life that everybody said they were supposed to live and they really hated it how do they break through that that's good stuff for me so when i do the editing and i told you how long it takes me to do the mm -hmm. editing i enjoy it it's not like a all right, I got to sit here and do this because of whatever reason. No, I actually enjoy that because yeah. I like getting that information out there. So it's sort of my therapy session. But, but then going back to me for the relationship part, it's that balance. How do you balance work? And to me, it's a job. It pays the bills. It's great. I do my job. But that doesn't define me. I'm not going to, when I re retire, they're not going to, you know, put me on a pedestal and make a bronze statue, whatever. It's, they're going to replace me. It sounds horrible to say that, but. <laughs> You're, you are a number. You're exactly. a statistic. You're, yeah. yeah, exactly. Nobody in our career in the military probably wants to hear that, that I'm replaceable. I did all this work, but it's a business at the end of the day. This, the department go, goes on. They, they have to fill the shifts. They have to fill that. I get it. So if you understand that, you can be cool with that and say, all right, do what I got to do there. What else is going on in my life? That can be a hard challenge for a lot of people who only know this job or only know the military. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I appreciate you bringing that up, that that's this, that this is your therapy and it, it's great that you, you found what works for you and that's your therapy. And that's, that's cool. I think everybody should know like, what is their therapy? Where's their happy place? That it's like you enjoy doing something mm -hmm. like for me, like if like I ride dirt bikes, like you put me on a dirt bike and on a track somewhere and I'm happy. Every, awesome. I forget everything else and it's just fun for me. Right. Yeah. Um, you brought up a point, um, blocking off a day of the week with your wife. And during that day, you don't do any editing and you don't do anything. So I've been having a tough time with that. Mm. So 
I'm the type of guy where the house needs to be clean. I got OCD. It's probably from the Marine Corps. Oh, I'm that way too. Or trust like me. The house has got to be clean. And if I get like a, I wake up and I have like a list of things going on in my head. I'm like, okay, boom, boom, boom. I got to take care of all these before I leave for work <laughs> at 1130. Yeah. So it's like, I have a three hour window to do all of these things, but then I also have to time spend time with my significant other. And I think that's a huge thing when, uh, when trying to maintain a healthy relationship with your spouse or significant other is what it sounds like what you and your wife are doing where you you talk about and you're like hey let's forecast the next week or two boom block this day out no podcast no editing no uh fixing your hair no overtime (laughs) nothing um and really blocking that out and that's um and I, i i don't think it's any fault on like i'm gonna use me for an example like that's been a problem in my relationship where it's like, uh, where we'll only have like three hours together, but I'm like, okay, I got to like clean up the house a little bit. And then I'm on talks, Instagram, replying back to people, trying to schedule a podcast or creating a story or a post. And then I'm finally done with that. And it's like, okay, like I got 30 minutes before I got to start getting ready to work. And that's not fair to her. That's not enough time to her. And honestly, I'm not devoting my, I'm not giving her my full attention even during that time because I'm thinking about what I need to do. That I get there. I mean, I'm back on nights now, so I'm adjusting to I wake up at like 1 p.m. And we start our shift at 6, at 6 p.m. So I wake up at 1. Okay, I got to go to the gym, walk the dog, make my lunch or dinner for the, for the shift. Oh, the house, the dishes need to be clean. I got to do that, that too, and get all that done. But yeah. feed the dog, and then I got to get out of here by 4.45, sometimes with the traffic going yeah. down there. Yeah, And okay, and then I, I get home, like at 6.30, 6.45-ish, shower, and then pass out of sleep. And of course, she's already asleep. Mm-hmm. So there's one day where we, like, ship's passing in the night, because she's already at work that day. But on the days where she'll, she's off and I work that night, those are the days where it's like, okay, We'll have the dog walk or take uh, take the dog for a walk, or I won't go to the gym that day, and then we'll we'll have like lunch or something, and that's like our few hours for that day before I have to go to work. But yeah, it's making that time and making that that commitment. Otherwise, I I've, I've been there exactly the same as you are. You have your list, and she hates the fact that I have a list. I gotta do this, wash the dishes, make you know make fold the laundry because I gotta get my. I'm the same exact way, yeah. and breaking yourself out of that whole listing and realize, hey, you have a you know, partner here. It's it can be a challenge. So sometimes we are hanging out and I'm like, oh, if I want to just go finish that episode. Nope. Can't do it. Yeah. Okay. And and so that's where I need, I need help. And, and I kind of did in the beginning of our relationship where like we'd go out to breakfast or go out to dinner and I wouldn't bring my phone because like as great as those things are, where we can listen to podcasts and we have resources and we have apps, mm-hmm. we have everything at our fingertips. Like it's also a downside to your relationship. It's something that I found. So um, we've actually recently talked about it too. And we're like, Hey, like we, we need to put our phones away. Mm-hmm. We need to go out to dinner, like no phones and just talk and, yeah. and have like more intellectual conversations because all it takes is one text message or one Instagram message to, to kind of turn your brain. So, yep. uh, I think, and I know you mentioned it before too, talking about relationships, especially in our community with the with the divorce rate being like one in two, one in three, essentially somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we have, uh, a couple on our buddy program that I mentioned before. Um, so Kyle and Renee, he's a, a firefighter in the Bay area. They came on and did a podcast and they talked 
They were amazing. Mm. They were amazing. They talked about the struggles of their relationship. They talked about the good things about the relationship. They talked about him working overtime and her feeling lonely at the house and her resenting him for it. Um, Lack of sex in the relationship was a huge thing. Um, And speaking of sex, that's another big thing in (laughs) relationships is... uh, is a lack of sex, a lack of performance, hypervigilance, and first responders. So we, we actually did a, a whole podcast on it, uh, me and my significant other, and she's actually the secretary of our board of directors with one of our contracted therapists, uh, Destiny. Mm-hmm. And it was basically like a therapy session. She grilled us for about an hour, but we talked all about relationships amongst first responders and the kind of like the human uh, effects of the job and how it affects your relationship and your sex life. So... Um, not really like the most comfortable thing to talk about, but we were all three on the same page. We're like, Hey, if this resonates with one person, if this helps one marriage, one relationship, then that's a win. Cause all we want to do is help the community. So I'm curious on the, uh, because I, I want to go back and hear that episode with the, with the firefighter and his wife, but just if you can give me that, like a brief cliff on it, what was the big, like you said, he was working the overtime for him. Was it I have to work it because there's nobody, or was it eh, I could use the money, or was it I'm I'm actually kind of I kind of want to be there. Yeah. What was yeah. his response? Um, new captain, newly promoted captain. Okay, there we go. Um, and then they also had a kid. Mm. So it was money financial slash, okay. uh, new promotion. Um, yeah. So and it's just it, it's crazy. It's it's never it's never really the same thing. There's always something to each relationship that is a struggle Mm -hmm. like everybody goes through that right like relationships are hard and then and we hear it a lot where like if you're a police officer or firefighter your spouse or significant other also takes on the effects of the job yeah that's been a big one where i've tried to keep that as far away as I can because I don't want her to be like, oh, you're, you're a police wife or whatever. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that for anybody who has that relationship, especially if you're both in the force and definitely get it. You both see the yeah. same things every day. But I'm very big, and this is why I live where I live and I work where I work. Part of the reason is I want to keep it as separate as separate. I possibly can. Some people love living in the city that, that they work in and more power to them. There's people who live like across the street literally across the street from the station and no, thank you yeah they're cool with that i'm like i would go nuts <laughs> if i did that this is a great place where i work if you have kids that's the place you want to be you want to raise your kids there safe schools clean street the police are at the schools all the time wave, waving that's the place you want to have kids in, and people love it there uh not so much if you live where i live over here having kids and you're stepping over you know things in the street yeah. that you probably don't want your kids <laughs> yeah. to see but when you're when you don't have kids, this environment it's it's thriving. Like I like the fact I can go walk out to these different re- restaurants, different neighborhoods. I don't drive my car unless I go, I go to work. I, it keeps stays here in the garage, and everything is walking distance. And I enjoy that. And then when I go to work, different environment, and obviously it's work. But if I start to merge those two together, for me it would be very difficult because then you're sort of crisscrossing. And I, and I talk to plenty of guys who work here in the, in the city and. The ones who live here, like they were born and raised here, but they don't work in the same neighborhood that they grew up in. They're like, yeah, I grew up in Bernal Heights, but I just want to work the Tenderloin or I just want to work Northern Station because it's, you know, that's how I separate, you know, the things I see. Because, you know, you don't want to walk down the street in your neighborhood and the guy you just arrested is at the same way. Hey, hey. Yeah. yeah. So at least if you're in a different district when you're in a big city, there's a good amount of separation. But 
Yeah, for me, it's try to keep it as separate as I can. Uh, if there are things I need to talk about with, with her about work, like, hey, this thing happened, then I usually will. Short of that, I, you know, any like the drama stuff at the department, I'm like, nah, that you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about like, you know, who said what to who or that the city did this or that. It's all just talk anyway, and then not even want to want to go there. So, I just talk to her mostly about the things that are bigger impact. Like, hey, this big thing happened today, or you know, this promotion opportunity came up, or this shift is going to be an adjustment. Like those things, I will. Mm-hmm. But short of that, I just try to keep it separate. But and to each their own. Some people love to tell everything to their spouses, and if it works, great, great. But it goes back to the beginning with the whole finances from the very beginning. You know, not overcommitting my, myself to too many hours because then at least the next thing, then you're not spending time with somebody. Then you're seeing more stuff at work and then you're dealing with more drama and then you're not working out a lot and then you're eating junk food because that's all it's open at, you know, 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then that's like when you really look at the list down the line, it's like, wow, all that. And it started from right here in the beginning, like the financial part where this is where you set the bar and then and then me and uh, somebody else were, were, were talking about the amount of people who left their agency like the last 10 years and it's like all been medical like one person retired after their time they, they hit their mark they're like hey i'm out of here great working with you actually two people no three people now we just had a couple everybody else has been a medical issue and like that's unfortunately the trend is a lot of us go out on medical and then so like the, the guy we were talking about earlier the middle-aged 40 year old guy who loves the, the career nothing wrong with that but live breathe and die the badge that one injury you may get, you know, you break your knee or your back and it's like, hey, you're done. They don't want you working anymore. Here's your medical retirement. Thank you for your 20 plus years of service and have a great life. And then you're like, and now what do you do? What do I do? Yeah. And then after a while, where are the resources? You're away from everything that you know. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, now what do I do with my life? And that's where you potentially start going downhill. Yeah. Like you've essentially, without realizing that you've sacrificed your relationship, maybe your finances, but the job was what you had and you were cool with it. And then when that gets taken away from you, now you really, and then that's where people get in a really dark place and it's how do you get up from there? But, you know, longer picture when you extrapolate it, all those things we, t- we talked in the, in the, about in the beginning, when you first get hard on the finances and then getting the relationships straight physical we didn't even talk about that like just keeping yourself physically healthy that it's it's tough yeah. right i mean you so you're on graves i was on uh i was on weekday graves for a year monday mm. to thursday 9 p.m to 7 a.m and i did that because i got a golden retriever puppy yeah so i hope that dog knows it's how awesome. spoiled she is yes because she would literally be in her crate while i was at work all night and then i would get home exhausted and then have to walk her and then try to sleep for a couple hours and then she'd wake up again. (laughs) And I was literally getting like three, four hours of sleep a day, interrupted sleep. And the last thing I wanted to do was work out where I was only working out like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm. Um, But I mean, you know how it is just like what you were saying with potentially having one day with your spouse and Mm -hmm. then court pops up last minute or there's always something coming up. It's not like the typical Monday to Friday, eight to five job where you know you're going to be off at 5 p.m. You know you're going to start at 8 p.m. Like our job is so uh, like it's forever changing and you never know when Yeah, you have that time. But physical fitness is, I mean, I think law enforcement is the most overweight career or out of shape or, or something like that. There's some statistic out there where it's like it's there's so much going on that the last thing you want to do is take care of yourself or work out and 
Yeah. Um, and that's where a lot of injuries come into play. And then God forbid you have to fight someone or run or yeah. do anything and you're not in. I think the knee injuries went down a little bit when they got us the Explorers. But when you had the Crown Vicks, getting out of that car with pushing yourself up with your knees, you see a lot of guys, ah, oh, the knees, man. How long have you been doing this? Ah, about 15 years. Like, oh, you know, getting up and out of the car or like you hit your knee on the bottom of the steering wheel. Calm that. <laughs> that happens to me before. Like, oh, yeah, do yeah. that a couple of times. And or that's gonna... r- riding the Harley. The Harley or the BM, whatever, I have the whatever, BMWs. whatever. Yeah, you got you got the nice bike. I got still the cool got bikes. A, I still have an old forty-seven thousand <laughs> yeah. mile Harley. Uh, just from that, like riding that for four days out of the week, like my back was always killing me. And I was, I got on the bike at twenty-four. Jeez, 24, 24. 25, 26, and I'm still an alternate. You should be Gumby at that point. Yeah. You should be. You shouldn't have anything wrong with you. <laughs> and you think about it, like the your posture the entire day with the thirty pounds of gear that you have on or whatever, and then getting on and off the bike, like it's just it, it is yeah. it not good for us physically. I never we weighed the gear. I wonder is it really thirty pounds? I never weighed it. <laughs> I, I I I'm just. We'll throw that number I'm out thinking, there. I was I'm like, thinking with everything, somewhere around 25, It's at least 30. 15 pounds. That's like, still. Yeah, de- depending what you carry. Some people carry a bunch of stuff. Yeah, some people, like, they want to go invade the next country. Like, you don't need all that <laughs> stuff, man. This is not, <laughs> you know. Full combat load. Exactly. But that has been such a big um, thing for me, too, is physical fitness. That's why, like, I have to get into the gym at least five days a week, if not six. And it doesn't mean I have to go hard every day, especially if I have to work that night. I'll usually do a lighter one because I know I have to stay awake for yeah. the whole shift. But that is huge. And then the, the nutrition thing. I, um, My dad would be rolling over in his grave if he knew how much I spent on groceries. I mean, he was very frugal. Like, oh, you know, eggs are 99 cents at this store with this coupon, so you got to go there. I'm like, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Whole Foods and spend $9 a dozen on yeah. eggs. And, he, and my, my dad would just... just you spend how much on that food, but I will pay money for that stuff because to me it works like the green powders that I drink, uh, the protein powders, you know, the creatine, all that good stuff, uh, because it keeps me, me going. It helps me feel good. When I tell people how old I am, they're like, you, like you look like you're 29, 30 years old. Like, yeah, I'm almost 40. Um, maybe because I don't have any kids, I don't have the the gray hairs, Mm -hmm. but I really prioritize physical fitness and uh, the nutrition aspect. I mean, I'm trying this thing now with the factor meal program, the meal preps, seeing how well that works for me because you don't want to be left at 1 a.m. Like, I forgot lunch, well, McDonald's is open. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's easy to get trapped in that working graveyard, especially, and that's just the, that's the easy thing to do sometimes is when you're running around the city, it's like, cool, I can pop into some fast food spot and Thankfully, I, I, I don't really eat fast food, um, and I never really got into that, um, but I would just sacrifice not eating, potentially, which is also bad. Yes, it's also yeah. not healthy, but nutrition affects your mental health and your physical health, and then physical health affects your mental health in a positive way. Yes. It, it's proven. Like, if you, if you exercise, even if you sit on the bike for 20, 30 minutes before your shift, you're releasing endorphins. You're, mm-hmm. It's good for your body to get the blood flowing, and then it also helps your brain too. So, And one thing I noticed from working on the bike is that I was having, maybe because it's a BMW, you sit differently, but I was having really bad hip problems. And I started committing myself to acupuncture every month, chiropractor, and massage therapy. So I have this lady, and she's really good. She really digs deep in all the muscles that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. And I've kept that up for the last five or so years consistently. A chiropractor, not as much, but all the other ones, acupuncture, massage therapy, because I realize how important it is for me to keep my body as healthy as possible. I don't have the complaints that some guys my age are having like, oh, yeah, this is the shoulder, man. Yeah, it's freezing up. That just comes with with the the old age. Or, yeah, the belt needs another notch. Just getting old. That's all that happens, right? It's like I have to consistently stay with that. 
So for me, I do spend a lot of money on like if I did the numbers at the end of the year, it's like I probably spent a lot of money on physical health and food and everything. But it's keeping me in this career longer. Uh, trying to sell that to departments like, hey, this is how this investment can help you down the line, especially with liability and people leaving on medical uh, can be a tough sell because it's a extrapolated. This is going to help you, but it's going to be a long process to see the results. Uh, it can be hard to emphasize that, but we try to do the best we can with our department to get that word out there. But it adds up again with everything else, finances, physical health, nutrition, um, the relationship balance, overtime. So when you have somebody who's been doing this career or firefighting, whatever, for 15, 20 years, and it's been that the whole time. And now they're at a point where it's like, what do I do? It's like we, we look at the list like, hold this thing started way back when. But at the time, you didn't know it. You think you're invincible. And then it's like it just builds up. And but yeah, trying to get that to the young guys can be a hard sell because you're invincible at that age. Yeah, so. and and I, I went through that too when I was twenty because I I started at twenty one as a cop and I was living at home and I I forgoed going out and partying on the weekends and I would work overtime and I was just working working because I was loving it I was happy everything yeah. I was killing it making mm. so much money didn't have to pay rent thank thank you mom and dad <laughs> um, and then I was able to save up and buy a house and then it then like the real finances came into play yeah. and everything. Right. It's like, okay, maybe I can't buy three guns a year or whatever the case may be. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a long list of mm. things that like we've already talked about. You have to deal with everything, everything, everything on top of the other stuff that we didn't even talk about. Right. Right. So there's, there's so, so much. much that we have to deal with and there's no really like positive outlet. That's a common theme. Yeah. So I, uh, I feel like that's, that's the problem there. Um, I know a department down South, um, they do yearly check-ins mm -hmm. with a therapist, a contracted therapist that the, the department pays to come in and works with first responders. And every year you, you have to go in and you meet with this person and it's, it's confidential and it's, and it's an hour on shift. So you're getting paid. And it's a full check-in. Hey, how's the last year been? What are you doing in your career? How's your personal life? How's your spouse, significant other, kids, finances, everything, mm -hmm. whatever you want to talk about. And then at the end of it, they hand them resources. Here's my card if you need anything. And I, I thought that was a super cool idea to do a yearly check-in at least like start there a yearly check-in because a lot can happen on the job within a year. I will tell you one thing that I've noticed, and we have a couple of supervisors who are really good at this, and you don't see it, you can't quantify it right away, but it works long term, is those, we'll say sergeants, because for our agency, sergeants are pretty much the watch commanders for our team. Some cities like San Francisco, it's the, the, the lieutenant and the sergeant. So the ranks sort of change, but whoever the watch commander is for your, your team, it's incumbent upon them, and you can tell who the really good ones are, that they will take time to learn about you a little bit. What's your wife's name? What are your kid's name? It's not all one day, give me a laundry list. It's over time. Oh, you're building a business. Oh, you grew up here. And then when they bring that up like a few months later, hey, how's uh, how how'd the wedding go with uh, your, your sister? Uh, I, I know that she was having trouble with that. Go out. You're like, wow, the fact that you remembered that, that I brought up to you six months ago, that, that shows me that you take an interest in me. Or if you if he comes up to you or she comes up to you and says, hey, I know you, you told me a while ago you were, you were uh, trying to find a good... Uh, recommendation for I'm a, not a lawyer but like something fill in the blank you know not just putting it out there my cousin had a great experience with with so-and-so but I remember it was important to you so just throwing it out there just so you know whereas 
some people may not even take the take the time of day to realize who they're working with, who their partners are, what's going on in their life. And then when you realize that your boss knows a little bit about you, you might open up a little, little more to them because you see that that trust and you realize that doesn't happen every day. A lot of us um, in supervisory roles can easily forget or little things like knowing when your people's birthday are or their anniversary. Like, hey, it's your five year anniversary. Um, at the department, congratulations, you're, you're working your day. They don't have to buy you a gift or anything, but the fact that they acknowledge that, whereas maybe people higher up don't, you you start to pick up on that. And those little things over time help to build that trust. And then it becomes somebody that you might want to go to later on and say, that person, I can't put my finger on it, but I trust him or her. So let me ask him, hey, Sarge, what do you think about this? That's, you know, if there's one thing that they probably don't talk about a lot in those supervisory schools, it's that part there. Because all about being a supervisor is building trust with your with your team. It's not about you went to this school with this leadership certificate that everybody's big about. Now it's can you build trust with your team? That's the main thing. But we've had a great conversation. It's already 11 o'clock, man. See, time flies. I know, unfortunately, I got to go to work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got you, man. I'll get you out of here now. Um, just for everybody watching, this has been, been a great conversation with you, Greg. We were not going to solve the problem of mental health and people wanting to end everything, but we sort of just wanted to get out there what some of the things people are going through. And as you can tell, it's not just one thing. It's not one event that happened that that makes people go off the rails. That just might be the straw that broke the camel's back. Really, it's all these other thing, things here that build up over for time and we don't get the help or the resources that we need early on. And then when we start realizing that we might need it, it may be too late or maybe too much work that we have to go through. So this has just been one aspect of it. I'm sure I'll have you on, you on again. We'll continue on. If Jesse's in town, I'd love to have you guys both on here at the same time. That'd be awesome. I, I, would, I would love it. Thank you so much for uh, for having me on. This is this is awesome. I know we, we tried to do it last time and rescheduled. And that's part of our jobs. It's that, like that's, that's things it. happen. That is it. What's so. the best way that they can reach out to you and reach out to the Overwatch Collective? Um, so I keep it super simple. If yeah. you type in anything, the Overwatch Collective, you'll pretty much find us. Uh, Google, Yahoo, the Overwatch Collective. It'll come up, theoverwatchcollective.com, which will lead you to financial assistance, the buddy program, resources, the podcast. Um, on Instagram, the Overwatch Collective. TikTok, the Overwatch Collective, Facebook, the Overwatch Collective, and you get the point. So great. Plenty of resources. Easy. Thank you, Greg, for coming on. For everybody watching and listening on Spotify, thank you so much for enjoying it. If you liked the episode, please like it on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, and leave a comment for me in the Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever you listen to it. It may seem like it might not do anything. It actually does. It helps the algorithms out to know that people are enjoying this. And if you really got great content out of this episode, Please share it with somebody that you think would really enjoy it. Again, this is stuff that nobody talks about a lot to, and we really want to help to get the message out there for everybody that there are resources available for you. You're not alone. A lot of us are going through similar things. If you think that the whole world's on you, it really isn't. We're here to help you out to get the message out there. So thank you, everybody, for watching and listening, and thank you, Greg, for coming on. Have a good one, everyone. Take care.